Hey, this is Max, and this is The Uncommon Truth, in search of the church the way Jesus meant it to be. This week, we're joined once again by Steve Orsillo for the culmination of our discussions about discipleship. Today's discussion is pretty straightforward, though by no means easy. That's because we're covering the topic of the cost of discipleship. As a young Christian, I was really excited about following Jesus, but as I look back, I think I was pretty blissfully naive to what that actually entailed and what that meant for my life moving forward. From my time working with youth and young adults in summer camps and and youth groups, I realized that that's pretty common for a lot of young Christians. So we're going to sit down with Steve today and figure out why that's kind of a scary proposition. We're also going to take a hard look at what the cost of following Jesus as his disciple really is. So join us as we dive into The Uncommon Truth. So we're back with our final installment up here in the upper room of the church, our final installment of our little mini-series on discipleship. And uh, you can go back and listen to those. We had one in between there with Duncan and Kate Smith, which you don't want to miss. But we're, we're talking about how discipleship is not just a journey for super Christians. It's not, it's not what the good Christians do or the super zealous Christians do. Discipleship really is just Christianity. It's just classical, mere, normal Christianity. And I think, think I, I don't know, I think we lost that somewhere along the way. And, and when, as we've been reading the words of Jesus, as I've been going over Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is, as we talked about last week, I've, I have been realizing that, that the, the things that Jesus says to follow him, that's not just for pastors. That's not just for the youth pastors or the missionaries or the evangelists. That's for, that's for everybody. That's for the, the people who, if you want to call yourself a Christian, that's what you do, right? You start becoming a disciple, which we've defined as being a twin of Jesus, being identical to him and seeking to be identical mm-hmm. to him. Growing but, to be. Yeah. Right. There's a cost involved to that, right? And, and uh, I want to talk this week about, about the cost because I know, I know I've said before, I don't think I was really aware of the cost of following Jesus when I said, yes, I would follow him. And later on, I'm going to ask you about what you knew about the cost when you said yes to him, when you found out he was real. But what what does Jesus say? Just to start off, what does he say about the cost of following him? Foxes have holes, birds of the ears have nests. If any man would come after me, you know, he has no place to lay his head. Right. So he said, anyone who would come after me must deny themselves, pick up their cross. He's saying there's going to be crosses. So that's not uh, just a metaphor. That's not just a metaphor. I guess for Peter and, uh, yeah, the disciples, it wasn't a metaphor. No, they all suffered. All of them suffered. Uh, John the Apostle died of natural causes, according to legend, but he suffered a great deal. Hmm. They They all got persecuted. So what else? What else does Jesus say when he says, "Come follow me, but know the cost"? What What are the costs? The costs are that you have to forgive those. You're not allowed to judge. That judgment be not not necessarily saying something's right or wrong. Like Max, your behavior is wrong. Right. The way you're treating that guy is wrong. That's not the judgment he's forbidding. The judgment he's forbidding is that you would uh, determine that you know 
the main thing I know about Max is he's going to hell. Well, hmm. you don't have a right to say who's going to hell. You don't have a right to make the final determination about anybody. And, and I think that today we do that the opposite way. We say, oh, you're saved. Don't worry about it, dude. You're saved. Yeah. Uh, how do you make the final determination? You don't get to say who's saved. And so I think today what we do is we just we rewrite the story in our own image, in our own desire for it to be. We don't want to be, you know, we don't want to pay the price. We don't want to pay the price of the fact that we have to believe that we need help. I, if it isn't for Jesus Christ on a daily basis, I am lost. Yeah. I am a man of unclean lips. I am a man who's rough around the edges and I'm not allowed to judge or hold people's debt against them. And that's a huge cost. I'm not allowed to be selfish. I am called to be selfless. Well, if you look around the world, if you and I could look out that window right there or walk out the doors of this church, we will see a community completely surrounded in selfishness. Yeah. Completely bound, chained in bondage to the results, selfishness by generations has inflicted on human beings the testimonies we hear at the father's house church of what selfishness has done in people's life that's you know not allowing selfishness in your life but having to be unselfish selflessness practiced every day that's a cost beyond your measure do not lightly say oh right. i'll do that oh, man. do not lightly do that you will be having a baby and not know how you're going to fit all your kids in your car. And <laughs> yep. you're going to be faced with, what right are you going to do? What are you going to do? Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to say, I'm going to keep loving the Lord. If it takes two trips to get to the restaurant, I'm going to take two trips. Yep. And then you watch. God comes along and takes care of you. I think at the restaurant the other night, you and I, I said, hey, let's just, why don't we just wait and see what the Lord does? Mm -hmm. Go ahead and accept that you have a car that won't fit your family. Yeah. And just... Say, I don't care. I'm serving Jesus anyway. And then watch what he does. Selflessness will do that. It isn't about me and my family having a car. It's about me serving Jesus and being an example to my children that when they grow up, they can look at me and be proud of the faith I lived. Behind closed doors, I was exactly who I said I was. And they can read Jesus. And they can say, my dad was or was not what Jesus said. He was yeah. selfish or he was selfless. Yeah. My dad laid down his life every day of his life for me. They can see who you are. And I mean, that's the cost. I have a baby. I got 18 years minimum mm -hmm. to where I'm in front of them forming their skull full of mush. <laughs> and that will happen based on how I behave in front of them. Yeah. Oh, I can go fool you, Max. I can stand up and I can practice Christianese in front of you. I can speak a language you understand. I can make myself sound really good. But the problem for my children is I go home. They see me behind closed doors. They hear my judgments. They see my selfishness. They see maybe my temper. They see maybe my immorality. Mm -hmm. They see my hypocrisy. And they judge Jesus for it. They say he's not real because of me. Yeah. But, or they can go home and see my selflessness. I can't tell you how many times I allowed myself to be taken advantage of. And my kids said, we're just angry. Why? Why did you let him take your stuff? So, because first off, it's not my stuff. All that I have is Jesus's. Couldn't he have protected that? And he didn't. They took it. Therefore, he let them. 
Therefore, I'm going to bless him to have it, and I'm actually going to pray for his stewardship of that possession or that money. Yeah. And they, they would just look at me and go, who are you? But when they became older and they had their own stuff, they had their own job where this is their possession and someone stole it. They had a true strong example in their life of someone who could be stolen from, who could be taken advantage of, could be cursed. They also had the times where I blew my temper in public and came home embarrassed. And they saw the way I responded to my mistakes, where I said, listen, guys, I humiliated all of you. I am so sorry. I'm going to make this right with those people. And they don't ever know that I went back to those people, but they know I had relationship with those people in the future. Yeah. And they can look back in their memory when they lose their temper, when they lose their lives. I mean, their uh, minds. And they go back and they have their children. They remember what I did. I was 100% wrong. I lost my temper. I was. That is not how Jesus would have wanted me to respond. And they see how I deal with mistakes, not excusing them, saying, oh, those people made me mad. They shouldn't have behaved like that. They were unrighteous. And quote some Old Testament scripture about mocking the man of God or whatever. You know, they deserve their judgment. And I can do all of those things. I, have, I, I am perfectly able to use all of those verses for all the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. So I have to count the cost and say, yeah, but I look pretty bad to my children. And yeah. I better I better stay the course. So if I hear you right, counting the well, the cost of following Jesus is you just gotta give up give up hypocrisy, right? Yeah, hypocrisy. You gotta you've got to be real. And that's our favorite our my favorite compliment. People come to church and they say, You guys are so real. My litmus test for whether my realness is being transferable, whether people are imitating it, is when they say, you know, like I'll, I last week you had the Smiths on from yeah. from Raleigh, weeks ago, yeah. two weeks ago. And uh, they, you know, that's they 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 met with a lot of people before they got together with, you know, us. And I remember his brother and and um, and his wife were here for a week one time and we weren't even in, we weren't even around till they've been here a while. Yeah. And what I love when they say this, that's they meet all of the people before they meet us and they know so many people before they, you know, hang right. out with us here. You know, they met us at conferences and, you know, the Smiths knew us 19 years or so in, in, in Christian conferences where you, right. you wear your best hat. Right. Yeah. And, and you look good, but then they come here to home where the down and dirty is going on. And they said, every single person is, is so selfless and give their life away and serve with a full heart. Mm-hmm. See, that's like, it's so real all the way down to the, like the third level, the fourth level, the fifth level. They're just so real. Yeah. You keep peeling the onion back. And that's it's right. And real. it's still the same underneath. And that's yeah. to me, that's what it's all about is, you've got to remove hypocrisy. You don't, you don't employ perfection because I just am incapable of it. Yeah. But you be real about your imperfection. You say, buddy, I, I, you, we had an appointment at 10. I showed up at 10 20. I wasted 20 minutes of your time. I just want you to know that means something to me. I did not frivolously waste your 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm so sorry. I, I made a huge mistake. I zigged when I should have zagged and I ended up being late. And I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? I had no intention to treat you like that. It makes you feel like you're not important. Your, your time's not important to me. And it truly is. And you make these, you make these grand gestures because you, it's real. You want people to know you care about what, how you harm them. 
because you can't be perfect. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, you have to go back and apologize to people at the county building department or people at the bank that you lost your temper with or, or the DMV where you, I mean, your temper is always right there at the boiling point. Yeah. And you have to go back and say, listen, I, you didn't deserve what I did. You didn't deserve the comment I made. I'm so sorry. You got to do that. It makes you really makes it a lot easier not to do it the next time. Yeah. And after you've done it as many times as I have, it's you know you know. Yep. Oh no, I have to go back, and it's it part of the cost. I have to go back. Yep. I got to be who I say I am. That's right. Because Even if I'm still training to be who. That's right. Right. There are hundreds of people, literally, hundreds of people who it matters whether I do it right or not yeah it harms them i had a pastor under me make a mistake a bad mistake and the young women and and it's hard to, i don't want to use any examples because they can be identified over the radio and all that but over the podcast and you know they come to me they've been betrayed by men their whole life they've been used they've been they've been abandoned they've been the men who should have loved them did not love them and they use the word love to abuse them mm -hmm. and you know they come to me as, i remember i had a line of girls coming to me when this pastor fell and they uh, every one of them tears in their eyes are you gonna let me down too just please look me in the eye and tell me i can trust you and i just i, I cry with them men need to be trustworthy men need to be unselfish i don't care how what goes on between your ears you've got to be trustworthy. You've mm -hmm. got to, you've got to be accountable to your thoughts. You've got to be accountable to your words and you've got to know that your actions affect others. Jesus said, no builder starts a project lest he can finish it. He counts the cost to make sure he has the resource to finish it. No King goes to war lest he knows he can prevail. Mm -hmm. And I, I cannot fight battles. I can't win. And so I have to make sure I can win. And the thing I can win is listening to Jesus, bowing my knee, the penitent man. John the Baptist, repent and be baptized. Turn away from your sin. This is, this is the message. If you want to make straight the way to the Lord, you got to tell people to repent and be baptized. Turn to the Lord. That's John the Baptist making straight the way to the Lord. If I'm going to do that, I better repent. That means turn from my sins, not just say I'm sorry and stay on my sins. Yeah. Keep stay stay with all my impurities. It sounds like pride is is a cost too. You have to sacrifice your pride, right? Oh baby, you go. I mean, you, you <laughs> if you want to lead 200, 300, 400 people, you want to lead people and and tell them look at me and imitate me. Buddy, you better not have much pride. Your pride better be tucked. You better keep it in your pocket because it might show up once in a while and you might get carried away by pride, but you better learn how to deal with it when it does. Mm -hmm. You better learn how to say, I'm sorry. You better learn how to confess. Hey, I blew it. Would you forgive me? And I forgive you. And you better learn how to do those things if you want to disciple people. It's the number one principle to discipleship. Be real. Be genuine. Be who you say you are. And man, if you can't be, then don't say it. Don't stand up and say it if you're not going to be it. And if you can't do it, don't. Right. Come join my school. Start out at level one. And let's help you grow line upon line, precept upon precept, to first off, want to be the man others can follow. 
Yeah. In my first, one of my early chapters of living and loving Jesus, that's what I say. It's a lot of starts and restops. Starts. People fail constantly. People relapse and fall back. You got to be willing to be mom and dad. Well, mom and dad has some disappointment. Their children fail them once in a while. Their children make mistakes. Their children break their favorite things. Their children spend their resources. Their children cause trouble. Yeah, my children build uh, coffee in my PlayStation. Now I don't have a PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> I met a fam- I know a family that has four boys. They were at our house the other night. And they he, they say they spend a fortune on emergency room because their four boys are so wild <laughs> and they're always getting hurt yeah and you know four boys are going crazy on a farm and they're getting hurt they go to the emergency room weekly and so they say they spend a fortune well that's the cost of having four boys and raising them the way they're raising them yeah so you choose this is the cost of doing what we're doing well christianity is very much the same paul the apostle said you know i've been snake bit shipwrecked whipped with the lash f- four five five times 40 lashes he, I mean, he tells a story, stoned, left for dead, stoned, yeah. um, escaped over a wall, lowered in a basket. Right. I mean, he, he, and he said all these things so that I might attain to the resurrection. He set himself on a course. This is the course. The king says he can let him go. This, 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 this Roman ruler, I'll let you go. He says, no, I appeal to Caesar. Why'd you do that? Wait, if I was going to let you go, that means you aren't going to get killed. You appeal to Caesar and you could be killed. Mm. Your charges are killed, but I'm going to let you go. He says, no, I have a mission from God to speak the gospel to the king. I appeal to Caesar. He knew his course and what it would cost him. And he appealed and he got his head taken off. But he did get to preach the gospel. Yeah, and the most led, powerful man in the world. Yeah, and he led people to Jesus in Rome on that journey. There was a story, there's a legendary story of Paul leading guards to Jesus. He was in this pit. It's a prison that's a hole in the ground. And it's and, and it's the most nasty place because, as you know, without pumps, without electric pumps, sewage yeah. goes downhill. If you're at the bottom of the prison, you're in the foulest place there is. And he was placed where nobody wants to go. And he kept leading guards to the Lord, so they kept putting him lower. Till finally they wouldn't let anyone guard him. And they didn't want to bring food to him because everyone that brought food to him became a Christian. Yeah. So then they wrote, they had him write to his people and say, they're allowing you to take care of me, but don't be afraid. They're not going to arrest you for being a Christian. They're just letting you take care of me. Hmm. They want you to bring me my food and bring me what I need. So now that's how he smuggled the letters out of the Roman prison. Wow. Was they allowed prisoners, they allowed Christians to come visit him to meet his needs, to bring him his health stuff and his and his food and take care of him. And he and he wrote from that prison and he was beheaded in that prison. And he knew what he was doing, right? Oh, he knew, he knew exactly what he was doing. I think I think that's like what I still struggle with in my mind is there's lots of lots of natural things, lots of business things, lots of life things that I can say if I do A, B, and C, then I'm going to get D, E, and F, right? Right. There's lots of that stuff, but I'm uh, like, why don't we think about Christianity the same way, right? Where, like, if because we're talking about us having a car, like we knew, we knew that if we had another kid, we would have to get another car. We decided the cost of 
whatever that cost is, whether it's having to right. buy a new car or to take multiple trips, we decided that cost was easily worth paying to have another another baby right. girl, right? It's a girl, by the way, woohoo. And we're excited about that. <laughs> three but, in a row. Yeah, three in a row, batting batting a thousand here. Yeah, love girls. I love, love it. Little, love I would not have it any other way, Amen. for the record. Um, but we, we took that into account, right? And And we're good with that. I think... I think a lot of us in Christianity didn't start our journey with that same sort of accounting in mind. And I know I didn't. No. Um, so we, you guys guess, counted so many costs and paid them. I mean, come here with a family of four at the time. I mean, all the things you left, a job you loved, um, family and all the, you come across a continent. Mm-hmm. You were in, you were like on the other side and you come clear across here. So there's so many count cost you counted and all of us do and that is the absolute definition of what we're talking about here we're talking about discipleship we're talking about the cost of discipleship if you have no cost in your life if you have no choices like that in your life i highly recommend you find a place where you do hmm. make sure where you have to where it costs you something yeah where you're you are absolutely in a place where you must trust the Lord or you will fall. Hmm. You will fail. You will suffer. I Every offering I ever take, I challenge people to give $1 more than they can possibly afford. Make sure you can't do this without provision coming. If you need $1,000 to pay your bill and you save a thousand and put it to the side and give the rest away. It does not take a lot of faith. It takes the willingness to not have extra. You're you're willing to count the cost of not having extra. You might not be able to buy the raft, raft the river, mm-hmm. but you still can meet your needs and you won't suffer. But if you need a thousand dollars to pay your bill and you only hold back nine hundred ninety nine, well, where's the other dollar coming from? You better, you're going to have to trust the Lord. So I encourage everyone, put yourself in a position, give away to the Lord everything and put yourself in a position where whatever you have won't be enough and you'll be shocked. Your car won't be enough. You are in perfect position to see the Lord's provision. Hmm. You may not get a car. I'm not promising anything. I'm not the (laughs) Lord. I'm saying you may end up raising this family with the same car you have now and your testimony on this podcast a year from now when that baby is starting to, you know, cost money, be yeah. active, no longer, you know, just laying there sleeping all the time. This baby is, you know, my kids don't do that yeah. anyway. They don't they're not the lay there sleeping kind. They're well, you the, never know. You haven't you know, met maybe, this little maybe girl this yet. One will be. But anyway, when this time comes, I'll bet you your yeah. testimony, even if you have the same car, you're going to be testifying of how the Lord came to you and met you in your need. Right. And even with that car, it turned out to be enough. And it's a miracle. You're going to tell of those miracles or you're going to tell us about this van that just came into your life and and see how God made this happen when there didn't look like there was any way. Mm-hmm. I could not with my resources make this happen and it happened. Right. God provided and it was awesome. And see, when you've got when you get a thousand of those stories a year, man's selfishness. And you look at what a, what a th- what all the selfishness of the previous years got you, and you look at what selflessness got you. With a van or without a van, you had 
incredible joy, peace. You, you had love surround you. You had opportunities to be used where you thought, man, that was awesome. Look at this glorious life I get to live. I am stunned here at the Father's house with the stories I've heard. How many people have told me you're so real? How many people have this life is so real? How many people have told me my confusion has fallen off like scales off my brain? I now have a belief that I don't worry about. I know that I believe what Jesus wanted me to believe. And I know that the, I don't know what the outcome is. I just know it's going to be good. I know he's going to take care of me. Even if I'm sitting in jail, having been beaten, I'm going to be singing hymns and songs and spiritual songs. I'm going to be living in joy with the confidence that he will take care of me. So those are those are the benefits, right? That's that's obviously part of the benefits of of knowing God. I remember reading uh, The Cost of Discipleship by mm-hmm. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is a pretty good guy. If you haven't heard of him, he's I know you've heard of him, but if listeners haven't heard of him, he's the the uh, Lutheran pastor in Germany during the 30s and and 40s who stood up to Hitler and ended up actually getting, uh, getting killed for it. But so he, he understood the cost. So he's a good guy to write a book about the cost. Um, but he, he said one, one thing that stood out was that besides all these other things that are benefits, you know, here on earth and besides all these other things that will be benefits in the life to come, eternal life and treasures in heaven, he says, those things are basically cherries on top really the the real benefit is Jesus himself. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. So can you expand on that a little bit? Well, I love Jesus. I went forward at an altar. I was surrounded, overwhelmed. The world changed. My brain changed. My eyesight changed. And And then later, it was later that when people are telling me all about all this other stuff, I said, wait a minute, I prayed to Jesus. I remember specifically the prayer. It was Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I give you my, I give my heart to you. I open my heart to you, invite you into my life. It was Jesus. And so I fell in love with Jesus. I just fell in love with the story. I fell in love with the crucifixion, the price he paid for my salvation. And I have never valued much in my life beyond Jesus. Um, marriage, kids, yes, of course. They... But I don't think the selfish young man that met Jesus would have valued those things enough to keep them. Right. I don't think I would. I think I would have had a wife for my own benefit. It wouldn't have been a wife to bless and to bring Jesus to, or to. It, I wouldn't have had all that responsibility. I, I think that the benefits and the cost are the reason anyone would be willing to pay them for the benefits is Jesus Himself, and I think. Mm-hmm. A guy who stands up to Hitler knows that even this life, this life is not worth trying to hold on to. Jesus said, anyone who tries to gain their life will lose it. Anyone who loses their life for my sake will find it. And anyone who listens to Jesus has to know these words and has to believe them. It would be impossible to stand up with Hitler if you stand up to Hitler if you did not believe them. Yeah. The, the, the peer pressure of the community, and they had the cross. They, a great many Nazis did it in the name of Jesus. I mean, this guy had to stand up for truth when everybody, yeah. you know, the, the, the social pressure was against him. And I think that it would be impossible. It would be impossible to count the cost if the benefit wasn't Jesus. I think the number one reason Christians find it hard to pay whatever cost it is, 
the fear that the whole world is sold on them. I mean, we are sold fear by everyone, everywhere, including the church. We are just sold fear in every way possible. And I think that the, the number one reason people find this level of discipleship um, very hard is because they don't see the truth about my life is bought with a price. Hmm. So the price that was paid for me was the crucifixion. I think one of the reasons that the crucifix is so important to me, and I'm telling you, I was just in the Baltic nations and I ran to every church that had a crucifix. I mean, I am just overwhelmed by the crucifix. I know it's a statue. It's a rock. It's the yeah. image it brings back to me of the truth. Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. I know that's an actor. That's Jim Caviezel. Yeah, other guys, they weren't really whipping him like that, but they were portraying a whipping that could be very accurate to the one Jesus took to buy me. Mm -hmm. He was I was in slavery before I was born. I was going to be born in sin. I my actions, my anger, my selfishness was already a foregone conclusion before, you know, thousands of years before I was born. And Jesus went to that cross and took that beating and paid that price for me. I don't think Christians today believe that all that I have is his. They don't believe that I've been bought with a price. I am owned. I am a slave. We are so, we so are against the word slave. Everybody wants to say I'm a son. Well, I don't think you can even be a son unless you fully embrace being a slave. I don't. I don't think you can. I don't think everybody that says they're a son's a son. I'm not sure I am. I'm, I'm, I find it very hard for me to say I'm a son. I believe it's God's place to say I'm a son. Hmm. I can say he is my father who art in heaven because he acts as a father. To not say that is to judge him as not being a father. Right. I am on a journey to make him my father, and I hope I'm his son. But I think it's up to him to say I'm his son because everything I ask my father would be done. And everything I ask is not done when I ask for it. It isn't the same. Ask for bread and get bread. I don't always get it. I ask for very many good things and don't get it. But that doesn't deter me because I know I'm a bondservant bought with a price. I have been paid an incredible incredible payment my payoff that i've already received in this life is abundant life here on earth it's abundance of grace and mercy i sit in a mall and watch people walk by i am mortified or i go to a stadium and see a crowd and i am mortified by the fact i know him and all of them don't oh i i did that the other why day. why do i, I get to about. know him and they haven't yet yeah what was the deal? I was 18 and stupid. I mean, I was running like crazy. But I had all my life looked at the crucifix and been so impressed with it. I know that my desire to understand this crucifix, this passion of the Christ, the fact that he was whipped for me, they kept saying that, but I was frustrated because I didn't see it lived out. Yeah. But my knowledge of that, I think, has my, my childhood of crying out to God over that I believe is why I got to know him, but I still can't sit in a stadium and look around me and not feel this pain for their, for so many people are lost. They don't know him. They don't know him. And I do. And I, 
I'm just like I'm just like amazed by that. I get to know him. My life is bought with a price. I am his servant. I am a bond servant. I, I he is a father to me in that he behaves as a father to me. Jesus said I must have a father in heaven. And when I pray, I should say, Our Father, my Father, who art in heaven. I am supposed to know that he's my father. And I have some doubt, like I've already said. I don't have doubt. I just don't feel it's my place to say I'm his son. I say I'm his servant. And I want to be his son. And Mm -hmm. I will be his son. I'll consider myself his son when he tells me I am. So... I know that's going to get people all worked up, but nonetheless, that's just my personal feeling. And so I think that most people are afraid of the cost of discipleship because they don't understand the cost that was paid for our soul. Wow. They don't understand the cost Jesus paid. And you know, when he says no one should go forward without first counting the cost, yeah, it's seen by him in Jerusalem. When he says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way to accomplish this deal, let this cup pass from me. But if there is only one way, then let it be your way, Father. Let your will be done, not mine. And he goes to the cross and pays for my sins. So therefore, he was counting the cost. He was looking at it as the man, Jesus Christ, as God in a man's flesh, able to feel every pain. He knew what was coming and said, this might be a lot. I'm not sure I can handle this cost. But, Father, if it is the only way, and this is only the way I hear it, if this is the only way to save Steve, Hmm. see, I hear it that way every time. If this is the only way to save Steve, then your will be done. I know he means everybody. I know he means to accomplish the salvation of mankind if they will receive him. But I can't help, having been a child my whole life looking at a crucifix, realizing that was for me. Yeah. That was for me. I can't help but hear him say in those words, if there's any other way to save Steve, I'll do that. But if there's only one way to save Steve who's coming along later, he's going to need me to have done this cross. Whatever you say, Father, if that's the only way to save him, then I'll do it for him. And I look at those movies and I look at those statues and I say, oh my gosh, he bought my life. He deserves my all. He deserves me to be selfless. He deserves me to be real behind closed doors. He deserves me. Having done that for me, he deserves that I should live pure to him, that I should be willing to confess my sins and be forgiven, that I should be willing to give my life to him to be poured out. And whether I have a car, I mean, you just heard, you know, I'm filling up a swimming pool. I cannot believe what's happened in my life. I, I don't care about money. And yet I have, I have been rich and I have been poor all in the same lifetime. I have been poor, then rich, then poor, then rich. I have been poor again. I don't have any money and I've never cared about money. The main thing I look at money for, is it controlling me or have I, when I did get money, I used it for the kingdom. For me, that's my success. 
What's the cost of getting money? Well, it's so seductive. It's beyond your imagination. It is so seductive, people. To wish for money is a dangerous thing. Yeah. It is so seductive. What money usually causes is fear. If you're willing to count the cost of the fear of losing your money, then go ahead and pray for money. But if you're not willing to count the cost and look at the having of money as a huge potential for negative and only see the huge potential for positive, then you're not being, you're blind to it. And you should wake up before you try to get a lot of money. It's dangerous. It's seductive. Me, I've, I've seen, I've had many tests on this and I'm willing to give all my money away because my life belongs to him. All my possessions are his. Everything I own. I, li- I get to live in this incredible house. And I lived in an incredible house and it burned in a wildfire. And the first words out of my mouth is, why did you want your house to burn? My possessions, the possessions that I accumulated. Yeah. My, my pictures were in there. My guitar was in there. And then it was, oh, well, why did you want your guitar to burn? It was fun to have while I had it. But immediately my peace came because I turned it around from my stuff burning. And the first thing I said out of my mouth after thinking those other things was, why did you want your house to burn? This thing became such victory the minute I said that. Hmm. Everything that we had in our life was burned in that house. And I said, why did you want your house to burn? It changed completely because I turned the possession. It didn't cost me a thing that fire. It cost him. It was his. It was his. My life is his. If my life is going to be that I live in a garage, that I live in a trailer, that I live in a field, then that's what my life's going to be because it's his life to live in me. It didn't turn out that way. My my, it was ridiculous how blessed my life has been from that fire. Ridiculous. I mean, I went from a heap of ashes to amazement. I don't even want to describe it on this podcast, but it's <laughs> amazing. It's amazing. You have to come here and see it. I guess. It's amazing. And I walk around going, man, can you believe that he lets us live in one of his mansions like this? Yeah. Can you believe he blesses us like this? It's phenomenal. How do we keep this? How do we keep this place of blessing, this sonship, this living in his vineyard, getting to work in his vineyard, getting to see people saved, getting to hear people say over and over that their life's the best it's ever been. How do we get to do that? By laying it all on the table, making sure we're in a place where we can't survive if he doesn't take care of us. That's what Vicky and I do. So is we, that is that the tipping point for, for going from seeing the cost to accepting the cost? Absolutely. That's the tipping point. Laying it down, right? Laying it down. I give it all to you. All that I own is yours. You bought me with a price. My life is yours. The breath in my lungs. I've had a couple of days where I thought, man, I feel so lousy. Could this be the end? Mm-hmm. And I immediately think, I don't. I, I'm. I really like this life. <laughs> Please don't take it. I never think. Oh, I, what's on the other side? No. I like. If you do take it, I can't wait to see the other side because it's promised to be pretty cool. But right now, I, I'm just really liking this. Can we can we stay a little longer? You know, right? To Five live more as, minutes. Yeah, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Can I stay a little longer? Would it be okay with you if I stayed here a little longer? I really like these people, and I think I can do some good. I think I can, I can get a few more people to value what you did on the cross. Can Can I stay? You know, I know one one thing you you've said a bunch in class 
and and from the front at church is uh is that you if you want people to you want people to get one thing from visiting here or from studying here it's that it's obviously it's there's you know listen to Jesus and but if you can get them to understand I am owed nothing I deserve nothing and I get to work for him that's and that surprised me when you said that's the one thing you want people to get but now it makes sense if if that's the tipping point to accepting the cost right well, well you know I've spoken that literally thousands of times in my Christian ministry and I was on a cruise recently in the Baltic and what I do on these cruises what what's really important to me is a connection to God that I sometimes lose in the business of life it's a connection of voice you know where I hear where I'm showing things. Yeah. And I have found that sometimes on these getaways, I really do. I mean, I, I, I'm not blowing smoke. I, I go on these cruises cause I just absolutely love it. It's one of those benefits of love, of mm-hmm. blessing in my life. And I just love it. The traveling, the people, the everything. I just love it. But one of the great, um, purposes in it is to just get myself connected to hear, to hear marching orders. Tell me what, tell me what I'm doing right, what I'm wrong, what I'm doing wrong. And so this time I had only a couple. Normally they're more than I can handle. I got to write them down. But on this last one, I only had a couple and one of them shocked me to death. He said to me, the most, you know, the most important thing you say. And I said, uh, I have an idea. It's listen to Jesus. Do you know the most important thing you say? I said, could it be that, you know, give your life away and you'll receive abundant life? Do you know the most important thing you teach, Uh you say? I said, I obviously don't. If it's not those two, then I don't know. And he said that you're owed nothing, that you deserve nothing, that you owe everything Mm -hmm. and that you are allowed to work for Jesus. And I said... The most important thing I teach? Yes. And that was the extent of the conversation, and I was stunned. I knew it was really a good thing. I knew it was a a mind shift, like the plates of your brain almost have to change in today's world. What you are told everywhere is you deserve everything. You deserve everything you deserve. And you're owed, you're owed reparations and every bad thing that's ever happened. You know, you're compensant recompense or whatever that's called recompense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, you're owed all of this. And I knew it's good to teach people that that stuff's crazy. But the most important thing I teach people who follow you, yeah. And I just was stunned and I came home and started sharing it that, you know, I've always said this, but God told me it's the most important. The testimonies are astounding from people's lives as they every day they think, how come nobody picked me to speak? And they just repeat to themselves, I'm not owed anything. I owe everything if I never get to speak. And as soon as they started getting it, I asked them to speak or they got asked to go speak at someone else's church. I mean, we have people, we have speakers here and we don't have enough venues. And so we're out there trying to get them to missions and we're telling them, put out word, go share your life with people, start to speak the gospel anywhere, go set up, set up a microphone in a park and just start preaching the gospel. Just, just don't speak, speak 
doom and gloom, speak love and blessing. Mm-hmm. Speak that your life's the best it's ever been. Tell your testimony of his great love for you. Tell them he has come to save you, to set you free, not to bind you to something else. And it's shocking, the testimonies of that statement. But that's the context, is the most important thing that you teach people is to not expect that they're owed anything. That way, I mean salvation. Paul the Apostle saying, I have not attained to the resurrection from the dead on the days before he died. If anybody had attained, it would be him. If attaining were possible, Paul the Apostle just tells us, I was shipwrecked and all these things, but I have, I did all these things right. so that I might attain for I have not. It's like, ah, uh, that is wild, man. I mowed nothing. I deserve nothing. And I pray with all my heart that I get this, but I'm not owed it. He's promised it and he is faithful who has promised. So therefore I'm pretty sure I'm going to get it, but it's, I'm not getting it because I deserve it. I certainly haven't worked my way to it. I don't get it because of works. I get it because of his grace and his favor and his love. Yeah. So I hope that, yeah that, that that makes sense to me so i guess this is this is where we come to the end of our our little mini series on discipleship and uh um, maybe we'll revisit this in in a while and we'll we'll see some things that we'll have a different perspective on it but um, one of the more important things you said was discipleship from the past is always this you know like super christians yeah discipleship is 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 believer yeah if you're not a disciple then you're not truly a believer. It says believe and you'll be saved. But that what that definition of believe is, is disciple. Hmm. It's the attempt to be Jesus in the world. It's the, it's the life consecrated. It's the life given over. It's the life purchased by a price. There is no believer that's not a disciple. If you're not a disciple, then you're not truly a believer. You're only using words of belief. You're a, you're a speaker of belief, not a liver of belief. Yeah. Belief is seen through discipleship and discipleship is the trans, the conforming into the image of his son that the apostle said, it's the freely. It has been given to you now freely give. And I, you can't read Jesus and the apostles and not come away with a sense of urgency to get out there and demonstrate to the world that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. There are 110 million adults in America claiming to be Christian. There are definitely not 110 million disciples. Right. Can you imagine 110 million Jesus lookalikes in the world? We would not be in this place we are in. I'm, I, world, I mean America. Yeah. United States of America in one country. Now add all the people who claim to be believers in all the other countries. Can you imagine 110 little Je- million little Jesuses in America? We would not be where we are today. Right we would have counted the cost and reaped the benefit of discipleship. And the reason no one wants to be a disciple is because someone used that term negatively in the past to, to be controlling or something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and so well, that's people why who this did it conversation wrong, is important, right? It is need, so important. We need to define discipleship as being like Jesus. And we also need to make sure that people know that that's not, 
that's not just the gold standard. That's the uh, that's, that's the, the gate, standard. That's right? the minimum that's requirements. The narrow, that's the it's the road. minimum. So if this is the end of our five part series, we have we have to close with this that it's it's the minimum standard. It's the minimum cost of discipleship or of 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 salvation is discipleship. It's anyone who would come after me must deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow me. If anyone would be my disciple, he would know the truth and the truth would set him free. If you're not being set free, you're doing something wrong. Mm. He whom the son sets free is free. Indeed. It is like, Whoa, Jesus, I want freedom. I want discipleship. I want truth. Well, come on, man. If you don't have a place to go, come, you know, we only have limited room, but come hurry. Get one of the spots. <laughs> anyway, go. come join us. Come walk with us. Come surrender your life. And you'll find a bunch of leaders who've surrendered their life. They're not trying to be Lord over anybody, but I'd like to invite you all to come. You know, someone that's addicted, send them to Orville. Yeah. Easier for Americans than it is for foreigners. But bring us, bring us your addicted. Bring us your lost. Bring us your confused. And, you know. We'll stick them somewhere in a closet or somewhere. We'll make a bed for them. <laughs> Bunk beds are real. Yeah, and we'll, real we'll stack them three high. We only got them too high now. We'll just go out looking for triple bunk. Yeah. Triple bunks. Anyway. I've, I've constructed my share of triple bunks yeah. in the past. So, hey, I, I really appreciate it. Um, if if people have a, any questions about this series on discipleship, we'll throw in the show notes ways that you can get a hold of us, and maybe we'll revisit some, some questions later on. But for now, that's it. Thank you so much, Steve. Well, thank you so much for listening to The Uncommon Truth this week and for listening to our series on discipleship. Coming up next week, we're going to be starting a series on some of the stranger and more outrageous things that Jesus said in his Gospels. Did Jesus really say that whoever puts his hand to the plow and turns back will not be saved? Did he really say that we have to forgive others in order to be forgiven ourselves? What about deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me? Or you will do even greater things than I've done. So as always, we're going to take it back to the words of Jesus himself, and we're going to ask ourselves the question, what did Jesus really say, and what does that really mean for me? We're also going to try to bring some new voices from around the Father's House Church and our different ministries, so maybe stay tuned for that, and you might hear somebody new and exciting. Between now and then, I'd encourage you to subscribe to the show if you haven't done that already, and also to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. That just helps us boost our ratings in iTunes so we can reach more people with conversations about the church the way Jesus meant it to be. Please also check out the show notes below this episode so you can find more ways to connect with the Father's House and our various ministries. I've also thrown my email up there, so if you have any questions about previous shows or topics you want to hear us talk about here on The Uncommon Truth, you can shoot me an email and I'd be glad to interact with you that way. As always, you can find links to our websites. That's changeoraville.org for the Father's House Church, schooloftransformation.org for our School of Transformation, and liferecoveryministries.com for our Life Recovery Ministry. You can also follow our Instagram feeds for a more visual view of what's going on here at the Father's House, as well as like our Facebook page so you can keep up to date with what's going on here. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. I will see you next week here on The Uncommon Truth.